0: John chapter 6 is a pivotal passage in the Gospels because John chapter 6 marks a line of demarcation between Christ and the people of his day. Up to that point, they did not mind him so much. But when he begins to speak in John chapter 6, by the way, if you listen to the text that was read this morning, if Jesus were to be examined today for a church pastor, he wouldn't make it. Because everything that happened in John chapter 6, from verse 52, would say that he was a failure. Think of the words. From that time, many of his disciples walked away from him, and never returned. He was a failure. Or was he? What John chapter 6 will do is the great divide, not only between the worldview that was present then, but the worldview that Jesus Christ, the divine, the heavenly perspective that he brings into the world In 6, 1 to 21, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, one of the best known miracles, is done. The people who saw the miracle and saw what had happened became so impressed with what Jesus had done that when Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over the other side, they followed and, and when, when, when Jesus met, uh, was met on the other side, they saw him. They said, teacher, how did you get here? And, and it's an interesting thing. Again, here's another reason why Jesus would not be taken as a pastor. They said to him, Master, how did you get here? And listen to what he said. You did not come here because you saw the sign. You came here because you saw the miracle that failed your tummies. I mean... You don't know a pastor's heart when someone pays a second visit. You you, you think, wow, thank you so much. And the temptation is, what did I say that impressed you? None of that, none of that. Jesus looked into the faces of those who, who came and followed and said, the reason you are seeking me is the wrong reason. You saw the miracle, you were satisfied, and you, th- you were thinking all the time, that's the kind of religion I like, a religion that meets my material needs. A religion that satisfies my physical hunger. And Jesus then began to unveil to them the purpose for which he came. And he begins the whole series of claims and demands In verse 52, verse 52, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Where did that come from? Jesus had made the statement that unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in yourself. This passage has caused no end of difficulties for saints as well as sinners. This passage has caused Christianity to be called a religion of cannibalism because they eat flesh and they drink blood. And any sophisticated individual, especially in the 21st century, will have nothing to do with that kind of blood-bought, blood-stained religion. They missed the mark. Because what Jesus was doing was Jesus was giving them the requirements that's demanded of God for a person to know communion and communication and a relationship with God through his Son. And briefly, we want to just make mention of them this morning, that it was a divine requirement, except A person eats of the flesh and drinks of the blood. The real importance of this requirement can be found again as Jesus continued to make the statement, I am the bread of life. I am the one who brings and the one who opens the way and the one who brings truth and the one who speaks truth. In John chapter 10, he says, All that ever came before me, Were thieves and robbers. Let me jump over a few things because of time. There are two things that were extremely difficult for people to take then as now. Number one, then as now, people do not like the exclusivity of Jesus. They do not like the fact that he claims to be the only one. I am the way. No man can come to the Father. And as he was was doing this, you you could almost feel the blood of his contemporaries boiling. How can this man talk like that? Why does he think that he has the the, 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 the corner on truth. I am the bread. I mean, just think of what Jesus was saying. Bread was a staple from, for the people of his day. And when Jesus was making the statement, the I is in the emphatic. I am the bread. For anyone to say that was either a, 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 a saying of arrogance, of pride, Or insanity. And they took issue with Jesus. His exclusivity. I'll say something about that in a minute. Because, you know, people like to say Christianity is so exclusive. But you try to join any other religion and see if they don't have their exclusivity as well. Not a religion exi- exists that does not have some exclusive cause that you have to adhere to. Even Baha'i, you know, you, know, you know what the Baha'i people believe? They believe that everybody is a part of everything. They accept everybody. And you say, but I'm a Christian. They say, but not you. Exclusivity. See? It doesn't matter who they, who they are. Religion on the outside look alike. But religion on the inside, completely different. Completely different. So they hate the idea of the exclusivity of Jesus, his uniqueness. I am the bread. No one else could make that statement. Secondly, they hate the requirement, eating flesh and drinking blood. What was Jesus getting to when he was going to say that? Was he literally saying that to become a Christian, there has to be a chopping up of his flesh and a pouring out of his blood? Listen, friends, let me jump over again. What he was talking about is his violent death. He was going to die and the reason for dying. The flesh the flesh speaks of how violent they wounded him. It will go back right into the Old Testament. In Leviticus, you, you will find Jesus talking to Nicodemus and he will, he will say, Are you a ruler of the Jew and you don't know that as the Son of Man was lifted up, must be lifted up as a serpent in the wilderness? If you look in the book of Leviticus, you will find where where this is being done. The high priest was told to sacrifice the lamb, the Paschal lamb, and to pour out the blood, and they were to eat the flesh. And Jesus was saying, just as the Paschal lamb there Had the sacrifice, the blood poured out, so will my blood be poured out. And just as the priests were able to eat the flesh, so you will eat of my flesh in a sense by believing in me, this is what you're doing. So it is actually talking about believing in Jesus. When you believe in him, you eat his flesh and you drink his blood because his death becomes your death. His life becomes your life. But when they heard that, they were offended. And by the way, that is still happening today. So there you have the first part of this. which us talk about what Jesus was saying and what he meant by what he was saying. Look at the result then. The result or the consequence of what he was saying. Verses 55 and 56. Jesus gave two remarkable results of those who eat his flesh and drink his blood, who believe in him. This is is all that means. One, he talks about the immediate, the immediate. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Has. Without that, without going to the cross... I heard, I was reading, I heard listening to someone who said, I don't want to go to heaven on the back of some other man. The response, then you won't go to heaven. That's as simple as that. Because only one man can get you there. And, and, And here, the immediate, you have eternal life. None of us is born with eternal life. Eternal life is life that never ends. It is life that, that, that is super abundant. It, it, it is life that brings fullness. It's not existence simply. It is to be able to live with the chief kind of joy that we do not know here. Paul calls it a gift. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is that which belongs to God he gives to you and to me. And John writing in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, these things I am writing unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you might think. Not that you might wait for. Those who eat of Christ and drink of his his blood. That is, by believing in him, I'm stressing that again. Has now, we have hope not only in this life. Paul was making mention of that forgiveness. My friends, you never know. You never know the depth of forgiveness until you need to forgive someone or someone needs to forgive you. It is then you come to understand what, what tremendous value forgiveness is. Forgiveness allows me to say uh, in as much as I have blown it. Jesus Christ did not die for perfect people. He died for sinners, and I'm one of them. Paul said, when Paul had been a Christian for over 30 years, you know what he said? I am the chief of sinners. But yet, he knew in whom he had believed eternal life. But there's the ultimate, there's the immediate, has it now. And I will raise him up in the last day. The last day is speaking of the end of time when Lazarus and Mary and Abraham and Peter and Paul and Spurgeon, and we can go on and name all the saints who have eaten of Christ. They're in the grave now. But my friends, please listen. A day is coming when Jesus, who gave them eternal life in time, will make sure that that life continues into eternity. Our loved ones that are in the grave today, one day Jesus will call them. I love what someone said when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And it's a good thing he only said Lazarus. Because if he had made that statement in a Jerusalem, every grave would be empty. People who died believing in Jesus. And one of these days, He will call my mother's name. And she will come up from the grave. That's what Jesus promises. This is why when we come to the table and we remember him, we remember not only our past, friends, but we are conscious of a glorious future we have. And when people say you are arrogant because you say you know you have eternal life, it's not arrogance it's gratitude. It is thankfulness. He loved me and gave himself for me. No other religious leader could do or say what Jesus said because only he has the words of eternal life. No one else does. Well, let's look quickly look at the response to Jesus when he said those things. Three brief remarks from verses 60 to 66. There is always a reaction when the claims of Jesus Christ are repeated. Or when he said it, or when we say it on his behalf. First, there was a resistance to Jesus. Verse 60, and please note something here. Those who heard it and said, this is a hard saying. And the word hard there is talking about something that is offensive, not something that is difficult. That's why Jesus again said to Nicodemus, are you a ruler of the Jews and you don't know this? For the statement to be hard, the three translations that we use try to capture this. This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? The New American Standard Version. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? The King James Translation. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? NIV. The idea of the word is not that it is difficult to understand. It is, is offensive. Who can talk about it? eating flesh and drinking blood. If there's one thing we don't like about Christianity, it makes statements that goes against the grain. You know, Jesus is going to make the statement, unless a man loved me more than he loved his father, mother, brother, sister, wife, he cannot be my disciple. How arrogant. No, friends, what Jesus is saying when you have me, you can enjoy everything. When you try to enjoy everything without me, you have nothing. That's what he was saying. The resistance. How? how you know, I'm going to tell you what we do today. Back, back in the 70s, the, 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 the church of John Wesley, they were the first to remove blood from some of their hymnals. And then it followed with other religion, other denomination. I, and if, if you look in some of their hymns, you will not find, that we were singing this morning, about the blood and about the suffering at the price, you won't find it there, in some of their hymn books, the new books that are written. You know, the saying, have you heard the saying, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. That's what we have here. When Jesus said, unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they were saying, I won't touch that with a 10-foot pole. I I can't see how that makes any sense. I can't see how anyone in his right mind believed that, that cannibalism leads to salvation. We've already said that Jesus was talking about believing, not cannibalism. So there was resistance to Jesus then there is a reaction rejection of Jesus verse 6 to 6 from this time listen many of his disciples this is frightening doesn't say followers these people had been following Jesus for a time you see there are disciples and then there are disciples these disciples didn't mind following Jesus on the peripheral following him at a distance. From this time, this statement, Jesus was okay until he started to say to me, you have to believe something exclusively about me. I choose what I like about Jesus. Gentle Jesus, sure. Loving Jesus, sure. Sure. But a Jesus that talks about eating flesh, which he explained in verse 35, it's talking about me, that Jesus I don't want. I, I, don't, I don't get turned on, if you please, by talking about, a, about blood and the cross and crucifixion. I think the best, best example of this is that a woman pastor in Toronto who claims to be the pastor of a church and she's an atheist. Try to figure that one out. Trouble is I know one or two people who go to that church. What Jesus is saying saying here, my friends, they failed to do what was required. what was required Peter said, we have believed and we have come to know. It's a very interesting idea I'll bring to you in a minute. So there's a rejection, and that's going on all over the place today. All over the place, and I don't need to go into to them. Um, you seek me not for what, was, for what the miracle was supposed to do. The miracle was supposed to be a sign that you have a greater need than just physical bread. Look at the response. Peter responded. I, I, I try to figure this in my mind. Jesus looked at a multitude of his disciples and they are walking away from Jesus. He's looking at them going. And look at the text, it says. Then he turned to the 12. And he said, Are you also going to go away? I don't know in what tone Jesus said that. But one of the most beautiful things is that in asking the question, you can see that disciples are made by choices, not by demands simply. See, Jesus doesn't say to them, you have to be. No, he said, this is, this is the way it is. Will you accept it? As Napoleon said, one of the beauties about Jesus is that he never, he never wins people by the sword. He wins them by love. Peter said, Lord, please remember that this is the second time Peter is making this confession. In other words, Peter and the rest of the disciples had time to think through all the offers that came outside of what Jesus was saying. And so they said, we have believed what you said and we have come to know. We have an absolute certainty. Now our conviction is based upon surrender to you. We don't have time to go through this. But when Jesus said, whoever eats, the first time, there was one Greek word that is used. And when he said in verse 54, and whoever eats, it's a different Greek word. Unfortunately, we don't have that division in English. But I want to close with how this was really an illustration for me. Our boy, when he was born, like we said, pizza was his diet until he became a teenager until he went to university actually but as a little boy one thing christopher loved was bacon he loved bacon and and lois used to get the bacon really crispy and it has christopher in his high chair and she would break it up in pieces and she would do something else Half an hour later you go back. And he hasn't swallowed it. You know what he's doing with it? Sucking it. He's sucking it. He is drawing out all the juices. I mean, and he one, one time we found him asleep with the bacon, bacon still in his mouth. <laughs> he he was he was savoring the taste. That's what Jesus used for the second eating. The first eating is when you believe. Peter said, we have come to believe what you said, but now we have come to know we have been sucking out the juices. Jesus said, I am the bread. And Peter said, we have eaten and we are satisfied. We're not hungry anymore. Jesus said, drink my blood and you will never thirst. And so Peter said, we have drank by believing and now we are satisfied my friend is what Jesus is saying when we come to the table we're saying by the way that text isn't talking about communion he's talking about the crucifixion the communion is where we're savoring is where we're sucking out the juices of who Jesus is and please listen if you live to be a thousand you'd never exhaust the juices in Jesus just think This morning, there are churches all around the world that are observing the communion. And listen, you know who they're remembering? Jesus. They're drinking and they're eating and they're satisfied. All my life long, says the writer, "I've panted for a draught from some cool spring that I hope would quench the thirsting of the, the, the thirst that I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my life so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. By his blood, I now am saved. For time and for eternity. Eat. And drink and be satisfied in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, how wonderful this is! Help us not to get tired of saying Jesus. Help us not to find his saying too hard because any saying he he gives to us are sayings that will bring life, not death. And I pray, Lord, that our satisfaction will come not in what we do for Jesus, but what Jesus gives to us of himself. John wrote these things I'm writing to you that we will have fellowship one with another, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. Oh God, we rejoice this morning that we have one who satisfies us in time, one who takes care of the past, and one who will assure our journey and its destiny in the future, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.